This is the Kimberly Jones Show, hosted by Reverend Kimberly Peyton Jones. Join us and let your light shine. Good morning, good morning, everyone. This is Kimberly Jones. Thank you all for listening in this morning. We have had quite a week, so much going on. It's just like, I feel like every time I'm coming in to broadcast, there's a lot going on. But one of the things that has been on my mind over the past couple of days is uh, some of the mental health issues that we have been witnessing in the news, specifically speaking of Kanye West. And I don't bring this up as a way to make fun of him or, 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 or make jokes about him because mental health is a very serious matter. And in fact, it's something that's very near and dear to my heart. And so today we're going to be talking about mental health. And I think that when we're talking about something as serious as mental health, we have got to have an expert. The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And I think sometimes we overlook the mind piece. And I often bring up the mind piece when I'm talking to people because, you know, I encourage people to use wisdom. But it's also important to have a healthy mind. And as much as we talk about our bodies being a temple unto the Lord, our minds should also be a temple unto the Lord. And we have got to take care of our mental health. And particularly in the African-American community, it can come with a stigma. But especially while we're in this pandemic and people are isolating and we have so much going on in terms of people losing their jobs, people facing potentially evictions and foreclosures and just being in close quarters with your family and and in my case with your children all day every day it can make you feel like you are and I'm being careful because I I want to be careful about the language I'm I'm, I'm using I was going to say make you feel like you're stir crazy but we're going to talk about language today on our program I'm very, very excited today. I have a very good friend of mine. Her name is Dr. Marquita Wills. She's going to be joining us. She's a psychiatrist. We'll hear more about her credentials. But I think we're going to have a wonderful show. So let's get ready.
Hello. Thank you all for listening. For those who are just joining, today we are talking about mental health. And I just wanted to play a little bit of one of my favorite songs off of Kanye West's album, Jesus is Born. And I'm just using his as an example because he is so public right now. But I have a wonderful guest. And as I always say, which it may sound repetitive, is the one thing I love is that I have so many wonderful, well-credentialed friends. And today we have Dr. Marquita Wills, who is by far one of my dearest friends. And not only that, one of the smartest people that I know. And I'm just going to brag on her a little bit. She has gone to every Ivy League school that you could imagine. She went to Brown undergrad, and then she went to the University of Pennsylvania for medical school. But going to UPenn for medical school wasn't enough. She also went and got an MBA from Wharton, one of the top, if not the top, business schools in the country. And if that wasn't enough, she went and did her residency at Harvard. So we have a very well-credentialed and very beautiful person on on with us today. Marquita, how are you today? I am so blessed. Um, One other thing that I want to add on to that list of credentials is that she also loves the Lord and is so blessed um, to be on this show with you today. So thank you so much, Kimberly, for inviting me. Thank you for being with us this morning. So Marquita, I was bringing up, you know, Kanye West only because he has been in the news so much and I had already planned to talk about mental health and I wanted you to be on so thank you so much for coming on and in preparing for today I was looking at your book um, uh, Dr. Wills Marquita has a book called Understanding Mental Health that she wrote with a, a with a colleague and as you may have heard when I was doing the intro I was trying to be careful about the language that I was using and you know, I wonder if you can speak to that a little bit, like why it's so important that we be mindful about the language that we're using when we start talking about mental health. Well, great question. I think that's a great place to start. Um, just like when we're talking about racial issues, we know that language is so powerful. Language is symbolic. And so much is embedded in the language that we use. And oftentimes in our society, we kind of put a stigma on mental health by the way we define it. Loony, crazy, looney tunes, mad, you know, all the words that we use to describe ailments of the mind have a negative tinge on them. We don't really do the same things with asthma, diabetes, uh, that sort of thing. We just Call it what it is in its scientific name. Um, And so I'd urge all of us to really think carefully about the power of the tongue. um, And when we're using words to describe those who have been impacted or who live with mental illness, um, that we treat them as people. We don't say that schizophrenic, but rather that person that lives with schizophrenia, identifying the personhood first because we all know that God placed each and every one of us on this earth to live out our purpose, regardless of what ailment we have. You know, when I was looking at the book, one of the things that stood out to me, and you just kind of touched upon it, is that when we talk about people who have mental illness, we'll say, you know, he is bipolar. And then it turns into, now that we use it as an adjective, like, oh, I'm being bi- bipolar or that's so bipolar. And, and you made a good point when we talk about other illnesses. We don't say 
she is diabetes. We don't say she is cancer. But we will say that someone is schizophrenic or someone, you know, is, is crazy, as you mentioned. Why do you think that is? I think because my, my, my deep reason for thinking this is I think it's because we don't truly understand the biology and biochemistry of mental health disorders in the same way that we understand it for physical health disorders. And so there's a collective fear right? There's a, a, a big fear around, well, I could go quote unquote crazy, or I could go mad. And so people want to externalize it and put it over there and point fingers at it to protect themselves from possibly getting it or catching it. And so I think it's in part because of the science needing to kind of catch up where we can identify biochemical markers or identify uh, things going on in the brain where we can really predict who has it. And I think some of the stigma will go away once the science catches up with it. You know, I was, you know, looking at the book and I I encourage you all to read, buy the book, read it. It's, it's on, it's on, and it's an e-form. I'm trying not to just, uh, put out any names but it's in a, it's an ebook it's called understanding mental health but i remember before of you had a different title it was going to be called getting beyond crazy and i was just wondering why did you all decide to change the name of the book yeah thank you so much for that you were such an important part of the book i just want to recognize that thank you for all the love and support and guidance that you poured into us um, as we were coming up with the idea for the book, it was originally entitled Going Beyond Crazy. And the idea was we were trying to do a play on words and trying to get society to go past crazy into uh, what's the real deal. Um, but we ultimately decided um, that, we w- that it took too long to explain what that title meant and that we wanted people to get it right from the beginning. We just wanted it to be a handbook. And so we decided to go with the title, Understanding Mental Illness, A Comprehensive Guide to Mental Health Disorders for Family and Friends. And that's what it is. It's written at a fifth grade level, and it unpacks everything. So both me and my co-author trained at Harvard, and we know how to use big words. But that's not what we wanted to do here. What we wanted to do here was write a book where people, everyday people, could understand what is bipolar, what is OCD, what is depression, and get the facts in one place um, so that we could destigmatize the issue and have good conversations about it, just like we're doing today. Right. No, and I, I, I totally understand it. Of course, I, I really like the original title, and the only reason I liked it is because I do feel like particularly in the African-American community, we have this word that we use, and it's like a blanket word, and we just call people crazy. And sometimes we don't even mean it necessarily being associated with mental health. But often, a lot of the behavior that we are defining as, quote-unquote, crazy is associated with undiagnosed mental health issues. And so I want to ask you how... Can we, particularly in the African-American community, first, why do you think that we have this stigma? And, and secondly, how can we get beyond this stigma? 
Yeah, no, good question. So, so I have treated people. Uh, I, I'm African American, which I think everybody probably knows that by the name Marquita. Uh, I'm African American. <laughs> I've treated people of every single race, ethnicity possible. And the one thing that's probably true is that in every culture, for whatever reason, in every culture, there's a little twist on it, but in every culture, mental health is stigmatized. Now, I would say in the greater American culture, it's changing slowly, and I think that the African-American culture is a little bit behind the greater American culture in that one regard. Um, But we're changing, too, as, you know, churches, and that's why I'm so glad that we're having this conversation, because you can love the Lord and still need help for depression. You can love the Lord and pray and still need help for anxiety, and and, and there are Christians who are uh, in the church and outside of the church who specialize in helping people heal their mind. Um, And so it is not anti-Christian to both pray and be in therapy or pray and be on medication for your mental health. And so I think sometimes the, 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 the tie-in with the church um, has made it that people are hesitant to go seek medical care for issues of the mind. Um, they feel like I should be strong enough or I could just pray hard enough. And sometimes prayer delivers you a therapist or a psychiatrist mm-hmm. that can help diagnose a condition, a medical condition, uh, that will get you back to where you can serve the Lord better. Um, so, uh, you, you know, it, it's, a, it's a complex issue, um, but I think that this is a wonderful conversation, having uh, faith in the church um, to be able to talk about mental health issues. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because that was one of the things that if I'm uh, frank, has somewhat bothered me in a lot of churches. And, you know, I have, you have certain expectations of smaller churches or uh, churches with less resources. But in some of our larger churches, you know, we are encouraged to go talk to our pastors about our our problems, which I think can be a good first step. But I also think that um, churches should think about having people on their staff who are trained in mental health, you know, either in, in pastoral care or if not, you know, be very upfront about that and advise them to go and seek outside um, resources. What are, are there certain resources? I know we have your book, but are there places that you can point people who may, you know, have gone to their pastor or feel like they may be suffering some from some mental health issues, places they can go to um, seek counsel? You know, it's very specific in each community. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was living in Houston, I had uh, the privilege of being at Wheeler Avenue Baptist Church um, under Pastor Cosby, and there was a very strong, and that's a, you know, 15,000-member church. That's a very strong, uh, they had a very strong mental health ministry uh, that was led by a woman who, Reverend Barbara Williams, who is a mentor, she's a doctorate in um, uh, counseling, uh, both secular as well as uh, church. And so we trained uh, the deacons and deaconesses on 
how to identify if someone were suicidal, mm. if someone were having a break similar to the break that we're seeing right now with Kanye, mm -hmm. a psychotic break. And we can talk a little bit about what that means a little bit later. And I can also talk about why I'm allowed to talk about Kanye. I'd like to mention that, too, in a minute as well. Um, but when we see that people aren't quite right and they need to go to the hospital and get help, we were training, and we know that deacons and deaconesses and are the front line to that, um, making them feel empowered and safe and knowing what to do should a church member come to them. Um, and in each community, you'll find different resources. Um, some include, uh, you know, the United Way, the Red Cross, um, and then, of course, uh, Mental Health of America, National Alliance for Mental Illness. Those are all uh, community service organizations that are uh, in every community just about um, designed to help people get the help that they need if they're suffering um, and don't know where to turn and go. Well, you know, that's a, such a great program that you're talking about because I think a lot of times what happens is that, you know, we see someone in church you know, particularly your deacons or on the pastoral staff, and, and you know someone, and then you can see sometimes when something's different about them. And a lot of times I don't think that we have the language. You know, we, we say, oh, they're going through something or they're having a rough time. And it could be that, but sometimes it could be something else underlying. So I think that's such a great program. I, I remember once I was at church, and this was um, – I don't even know if I had started seminary yet or if I was about to start seminary. And one of the ministers asked me to come and pray with a member. And the lady, I think now, retrospectively, was really experiencing postpartum depression. And the minister who went to pray with her, she's like, oh, you just need to go home and get some rest. And maybe the woman did need some rest, but I really felt a bit like it was negligent that we didn't have something in place or some kind of language or some place to, to direct people. So I'm really um, glad to, to hear that you all did that program at Wheeler. Do you think that there's opportunities for other churches to get that same kind of training? I do. I do. And I think that there are so many um, black Christian counselors um, who, you know, are Christian who are doing things. I mean, I know I speak in churches a lot um, and, and, and work with some of the more progressive pastors who are willing to have those conversations. And, you know, as we know, there have been a lot of pastors who have committed suicide. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, that that is something that has happened because it's thought that we you can't go get help. But sometimes people who are in healing and leading ministries need to go get that professional support and help um, to steady so that, again, they can live their best lives out and serve. Wow. Is there, do you know of any, because I know you mentioned a couple of organizations, are there, do you know some best practices for uh, a church or, or, or a pastor who may want to implement some sort of frontline training for the, for their deacons or, or other people, some uh, places that they might be able to make that happen? Yes. So I think the best place to go is to black psychiatrists of America or Black Psychologists of America um, and reach out to uh, that organization. Find a Black psychiatrist 
or black psychologist in your area and work with that person to develop a curriculum and a training around just mental health 101. Mm -hmm. um, and they can, use, they can leverage things like mental health first aid is what it's called. That's the, the best program, mental health first aid. Um, and you can find that throughout the country as well. And they're great about doing training to churches, to schools, to police stations, to any community where you're going to see those issues crop up front line so that leaders have the tools, skills, confidence to deal with those issues, the severe issues, and even the less severe issues as they come around in a supportive way and really think of this as a partnership with the church, not something instead of the church, but a partnership with the church. Now let's, uh, if you will, if you don't mind, let's let's talk about uh, Kanye a little bit. And I know one of the things that resonated with me when you, I think you said having a psychotic break. And this is the other reason I'm just going to go back to that original title of your book, Going Beyond Crazy, is because I think we do in our culture see when people have these psychotic breaks or other issues. And I think that's where the term going crazy comes from or where people have lived a certain life and then suddenly they have an onset of, of uh, mental health issues. Can you talk about that? Like how it looks, what it is, wh what's going on? Yeah, happy to, happy to. The first thing that I want to say is that as a psychiatrist, as a board certified psychiatrist, I am not allowed to talk about or uh, discuss the mental health of anyone who I've never so I'm not allowed to discuss the mental health of any uh, celebrity figures or diagnose them or anything like that. It's considered to be a conflict of interest. And I want to put that out on the table first. Mm -hmm. However, with regards to Kanye West, he has already put his diagnosis in the public space, mm -hmm. um, in the public arena. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that both he and his wife have labeled his diagnosis as bipolar disorder, uh, because I think then we can kind of springboard off Kanye into just talking about bipolar disorder and psychosis a little bit more broadly. Mm -hmm. um, so I hope that makes sense for your listeners. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I wanted to put that out there, and this is why I do feel that it's safe for me to be able to talk about this particular issue. And I'm grateful that they put it out there because I think we need to have more candid conversations about mental health. Um, so bipolar disorder is one of the mood disorders. Depression is one of the mood disorders as well. You mentioned postpartum depression, and that's a mood disorder. So bipolar basically means that for the most part, people who are bi have bipolar disorder are usually very high functioning. Um, it occurs in 1% of the population, so it's a pretty rare disease. Um, and generally speaking, we found anecdotally that oftentimes people who have bipolar disorder are very, very smart, very, very creative, um, and um, very, very driven. So it's an interesting phenomenon, right, that someone who, you know, is kind of on the brink sometimes, um, oftentimes has, is very gifted, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so one person of the population has bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder, usually they, most of the time, they're running normal, what we call euthymic, meaning normal mood, normal mood. What was that um, word, euthymic? Euthymic is what okay. it's called, okay. E-U-T-H-Y-M-I-C. But sometimes they go low. And when I say low, I mean low, low. They're so depressed that they can't see the next day. They're tormented by whatever's going on in their mind. What could be a normal situation for most of us could be something that could drop them on the floor for months, if not years, if they don't go get help. And then on the reverse side, what also happens for people who have bipolar disorder is they can be high, high, high. So, so up in the air, thinking they have special gifts. Grandiose is the term that we use, G-R-A-N-D-I-O-S-E. So they're just inflated with more self-esteem than you could possibly imagine. Like they could be president, even if they've never had any political career. Exactly. (laughs) So that's what bipolar is, and we've got great medications for it. That's the thing about it. The medications we have for bipolar can make somebody smooth, stable. We can put them on lithium. We can put them on antipsychotics. We can put them on great medications. But most of the time, people who have bipolar disorder don't really know they have it or don't really have insight into the fact that they're having an episode, they can't see themselves, and so they refuse to take medication. So it's this conundrum of how you get somebody the treatment that they deserve when they're racing around uh, out of their mind, literally, um, and you can see it, and you know that's what normal is like for them. Um, so, I, you know, it's, it's exactly what we've seen. We saw this with Charlie Sheen. Mm-hmm. Um, who admitted that he had bipolar disorder. He went through an episode. Um, Britney Spears mm-hmm. um, went through an episode in front of the public eye. And so it's, 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 it's a tough, tough situation, particularly for people who are dealing with it in the public eye. Um, but there are people who deal with it in the hood, too, mm-hmm. you know, in our communities as well. And so we got, and in our family. So we got to really try to get these people help and not send them away. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you about is because I've read somewhere about uh, Kanye saying that the one of the reasons that he doesn't like to take the medication is because of it makes him gain weight. And I imagine for many people, when you're on medication, you know, there are side effects with every medication. Is that a real side effect of the bipolar medication? Yes, it is. It is. Many times the medication, so this is what I say, I do prescribe medications, and medications are not always what I say clean, mm-hmm. and every medication works different in everybody's body, too, you know, so no matter what my patients say, I listen to them. If they tell me it makes them think dull, then I believe them. Mm-hmm. If they tell me that they've been gaining weight, I believe them, because everybody's body takes medications differently, and I've learned that through the years. So, yes, unfortunately, many of the medications do cause weight gain in many people, not all people, 
put in many people. Um, and so whenever I start someone on a medication, the woman that I tell them their metabolism may change. And because of that, I need them to get on the tightest, dopest self-care plan with regards to eating, drinking water, and exercising that they can possibly imagine. So, yes, it does sometimes cause weight gain. And many of us don't want to gain weight. So I get why that trade-off happens. Well, and particularly, I, I'm at, based on what you're saying, if you're bipolar and sometimes you're, you're functioning fine or you're, you're in a manic phase that probably feels good, and particularly for Kanye West, if you're a public figure where your appearance is scrutinized, and so if you gain weight, then you're all over the place, you know, everyone yeah. calling you fat. And, 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 I'm, and just with our society in general being such a body-conscious society, I, I definitely have sympathy for that. But I want to ask you, so we, this is Kanye, you know, he, he's, you know, in the public eye. How can people, because I, I think, bi, you know, we're talking about bipolar as the example, but there are other, correct me if I'm wrong, are there other times when people can have psychosis, what is it, psychotic breaks that are associated yes. with other illnesses? Yes. yes, you can have psychosis with other illnesses. So think about the homeless person that you see on the street talking to themselves. Chances are that person probably has schizophrenia. Um, so, um, you know, uh, that, is, that is considered a form of psychosis. Um, think also of uh, the, the uh, depression. Sometimes depression without mania can get so dark that it can get psychotic. People can start believing that their body is or believing that, you know, if they touch something, it'll be dead or something like that. That's a form of psychosis. Paranoid schizophrenia is a form of psychosis. So psychosis is a word that is used in many different disease states, not just bipolar. Um, it's, a, it's more of a description or a symptom, a mental health symptom that we see. And it can, it, 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 when you see that, you have to go through a certain what we call differential diagnosis to figure out the underlying cause, and there'll be different forms of treatment for that. So, yeah, psychosis is like a symptom, okay. which basically means you've had a break with reality. That's what that means. So either you're hearing voices, you're seeing things that aren't really there, you're manic, um, you, it, it's basically a break with reality where your normal senses aren't in tune and maybe you think you're being followed or, you know, you think you're hearing voices, you think people can control your mind, you know, those sorts of things. Things when you've had a, a break with reality. That's how we define psychosis. Right. And why is it that sometimes someone can be normally functioning or, and I'm using normal and I'm thinking about your book and, you know, normal is a, a broad term, but, you know, be a, a, a high functioning person. And then suddenly at a certain age, they have psychosis. What, 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 what happens? Yeah. It's an interesting question. It really is because, you know, the natural, the natural disorder, the, the natural, so the natural life cycle of, disorders are very interesting. Generally speaking, if someone is going to have, people generally have their first psychotic break, men around 20-something, mm-hmm. women around a little older, mm-hmm. late 20s, maybe even early 30s. 
mid to late 30s. So it, the, the, when it emerges, usually is a little bit later in life after people have had a chance to grow up. And then you see it. And that's why I think college mental health is so important because that's around the age a lot of times when you see people first having problems and struggling is in the college setting. Not because of the pressures of college, because, you know, you know, colleges can be stressful, but because that's just when the age of it happens. Even if they weren't in college, it might have happened, too. Um, so it's, it's, it's the natural life cycle of the disease. Um, and, um, you know, someone can have one episode of depression and never be depressed again. Um, and then anxiety is the most common disorder that we see in most people, generalized anxiety disorder or panic disorder, um, both, both of which, you know, anxiety and depression are very, very treatable disorders. So people feel super anxious or feel super depressed, you know, just know don't have to live like that right and again I just raise that because I think that I think about before when I would hear you know people talk about somebody in the family or some kind of person that was secret and there was always this like oh she went crazy or she lost her mind but there's this implication that they were high functioning until a certain point which you know lends us a phrase like they went crazy or, or someone goes crazy because it's like it's something happens where you're functioning a certain way and then suddenly something happens that's right. That's right. That, and that usually it is a stressful event that precipitates it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people may, may think, you know, it may be a divorce, it may be a breakup, it may be a job loss, it may be a death. Right. And, and, but in my opinion, in my clinical opinion, it's not the external event that caused it. It's their brain chemistry that caused it when the stress happens, right? So some people, if they have a stressful event, are going to be able to rebound and be resilient, and other people with a stressful life event may express mental illness. Um, and so we got to all be sort of watching for that and monitoring for that in our communities in a compassionate way. I don't really follow social media, but my girlfriend texted me and told me that people were just ripping Kanye yeah. apart. And I just, I can't, even, I don't even understand that. I don't get it. I don't get how people can't have compassion. And they see someone is as ill as he is. I mean, I don't, I don't get what negativity anybody could throw at that. Um, and so I'm just really grateful that you're creating a space, Kimberly, where we can explore these issues and help people have more compassion and empathy. Yeah, and I think unfortunately, it's you know, it, it, it's associated with a lot of the things that um, Kanye has done. And I think retrospectively, we can probably associate those that behavior with um, some mental health issues about I'm thinking and at least hoping that one of the bright sides is that it is encouraging people to have more conversations and uh, and be more compassionate about it along those lines I think one of the things that Kim Kardashian West spoke about was uh, when people were saying why wasn't his family doing anything and she said something in her statement along the lines of anybody who deals with a loved one who has mental uh, health, uh, mental illness understands that you can't make them do anything. And so I want to talk about that a little bit because I even, if I'm transparent, I've had some issues in my own family where we've had a relative who is suffering with mental illness, but they have to do certain things or make certain admissions in many cases before anything can be done. Can you talk about that a little? 
Yes, yes. And this is one place where I believe, and I, I really strongly believe that I'm hoping we're in a time where we can work and advocate to have a more sensible system for our folks who are mentally ill, because the thing of the matter is they don't know when they're in an episode. That's the thing. They don't have insight into that. So Kanye doesn't know right now that he's out here doing that. You know, he may or may not at a later time realize it or recognize it, you know. Um, And so, but the way that our laws are set, and they got set this way back in the 1960s around the civil rights movement when there was a big expose around how people were treating folks who had mental conditions. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that the pendulum has swung too far and it needs to swing a little bit far back. So it used to be that people who had mental conditions lived in institutions or asylums. Mm -hmm. But in the 1960s during the civil rights movement, people began began being concerned about people with mental illness and their civil rights. And so they moved them all into the community, and we were supposed to build this great community mental health system that never quite materialized. And so our laws don't reflect this idyllic community mental health system that is there in pieces, but certainly not in a uniform way. And so right now, if someone is going to be hospitalized, They have to be at imminent risk of harm to themselves or others. That means that they're right on the brink of either killing themselves or right on the brink of killing somebody else or so disorganized that they're not able to protect themselves in the community. And that's not quite where Kanye is. He's probably a step or two or three before that. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing the family can do because of the fact that he's got rights and he has a right to not be treated, you know? Um, And I think that we've got to look at that a little bit more closely as a society to say, hey, wait a minute. When people are at a point where they can't see themselves, but they have loved ones, can't their loved ones intervene in a sensible way or even a neutral third party you know, person, can they intervene? Can they have sort of like a, a power of attorney, a healthcare proxy for when they're sort of incapacitated is what we would call it. Um, and so I actually do think that there's a, a, a great, great room for advocacy and pushing our public health officials on issues of strengthening and creating a more humane public mental health system um, so that those with mental issues on the extreme can get the help they deserve faster and easier. So now from a very practical perspective, because I think most of us know someone either as a friend or a family member who has suffered with some sort of mental illness, What, given that legal dynamic, what should or what can someone do if they feel like they have a relative or a friend who is um, suffering from a mental illness? Yep, yep, yep. So first of all, um, showing empathy Mm -hmm. and being there for them, I think is the most important thing. I think people automatically try to, for some reason, kind of start trying to fix it 
and trying to diagnose it and trying to start saying this is why don't do that don't do that don't don't try to come up with any reasons or explanations just sit with your friends emotions and let them know that you're there for them so if that means taking them out for a meal if that means uh uh you know reading a good book with them, if that means just sitting there and being with them and watching TV in silence, do that. Like, just show them that you're there for them. Don't try to fix it. Just do power listening and be empathic. And then once you build up that trust of just trying to understand where they're at and where they are, once that trust has been established, then you can go into, hey, you know, I've got some resources for you that I want you to consider. But you can't do that unless the trust has been established. Um, and then it's, hey, let's let's look at if they're employed, look at an employee assistance program. If they have a church where there's pastoral counseling, that's a good place to go. Um, if they have um, uh, insurance going through their insurance, carrier to talk about getting therapeutic help. Also, a great place to start right at the beginning is just your primary care physician. They're very adept at dealing with dental health issues and can guide you in the right direction. People sometimes forget about their primary care physician, but that's a great place to go as a great first start to just say, Doc, I haven't been feeling good. Do you have any referrals or things that I can do for my stress? You know, um, anything you recommend. Um, so there are lots of places that people can, and then if you just don't know where to turn, then turn to either Mental Health of America or National Alliance for Mental Illness, NAMI, or Mental Health of America. Those are MHA. Those are two great organizations um, that provide community support and guidance for people who may need further help. I want to ask you one more question uh, before we wrap up, and usually I... Um have the uh, person I'm speaking with disengage while I do the wrap-up, but I want to ask you to stay on when I do the wrap-up. But the question I want to ask you is about now, during this pandemic with the shelter in place, when people have so much stress and, and things are so uncertain, and what are some things that people can do to sort of preserve or um, maintain their mental health? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. So just, first of all, they need to know that they're not alone. I checked the statistics on this. 78% of Americans are saying that they're under a great amount of stress due to the pandemic situation. That's every uh, race, every color, every uh, political affiliation, Republican, Democrat, Independent, 78% of Americans feel stressed. So know that we're not alone. You're not alone if you are feeling stressed. The best thing you can do to combat that stress is come up with a great self-care plan. And by that, what I mean is focus on exercise, making sure you're exercising because exercising releases endorphins and that gets your mood back up, making sure you're sleeping at least six or seven hours a night, preferably seven to nine hours a night, but getting good restful sleep, eating nutritiously, staying hydrated, drinking water, Staying as connected with friends as you possibly can through Zoom, uh, setting a plan for the day, 
uh, making a journal of what you're grateful for, making a gratitude list, meditating, and then finding ways to get outside and be with nature. And if you're a pet person, maybe consider adopting a pet too, because pets are very therapeutic. So if you're if you're being, although you know there's the money that comes with that, but you know if you're in a position, so there's so much going on. But what we have to do is come up with the strongest self care plan that we can, and we gotta teach this to our kids too. We gotta teach self care to our kids. And I think people can see it now more than they've seen it before. Gardening, connecting with the earth, all of those things are so important. And then, of course, staying in prayer. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Marquita, so much, Dr. Marquita Wills. I want you guys to go get her book. It's um, You can get it as an ebook. It's called Understanding Mental Health. It's with her and her, her colleague, uh, Dr. Carlin Barnes. It's a wonderful book. And, uh, Marquita, I'm going to wrap up in just a second. And if you would stay on, I would really appreciate it. to uh, thank Dr. Marquita Wills for being on with us. And I'm so blessed that I can call Marquita a friend. And I just wanted to share, I I spoke last week about how um, I don't like to be so transparent, but I talked a little bit uh, about some of my own struggles. And I want to first thank Marquita because when I was going through my worst mental health issues, it was... um, over 10 years ago when I first started seminary and I, I shared a little bit of this but I'll just um, kind of give a high level thing. I had gone through a severe depression and I think one of the things that Marquita mentioned was about how things happen and it's how we react to them and I think for me there was so much going on like leaving my career starting seminary and just all these different life changes and I went through a, a deep deep depression and I will never forget it. I came home one day and I got in the bid and I was in the bid literally for two weeks. And uh, Marquita, you talk about this in the book about how things that seem normal, we think that you know we should be doing. But I, I wasn't being normal. I, I, I remember telling a friend I hadn't taken a shower in three days and he said, don't tell anyone about this. But in any event, I, you know, I had Marquita as a friend and I went to go get help. I got on medication. I got diagnosed with something that's called dysthymia because it wasn't my first de- depression, even though it was the most severe. And I remember telling you this, Marquita. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember saying, you know, I was sick, I was depressed, and I was like, I had lost 15 pounds in like a week and a half. And you were like, oh my goodness, like you have physical manifestations. This was very, this is very serious. And I also remember talking to you about uh, one therapist that I was seeing who had done something strange, and I told you about it, and you were like, you know, I was upset because 
she was always starting me late and wanting to charge mm-hmm. me the full price and I and I and she tried to you know say I was getting value out of it and I talked to you about it and you were like no that is absolutely inappropriate so I just want to thank you for being a friend and being supportive and understanding what I was going through in in that time period so I really really want to thank you for that and I just want to say to um, anyone who's listening if you are dealing with mental health get help it's nothing to be embarrassed about I, I will share my own story. I remember I was depressed and like literally, I, and I won't say it, you know, some people, oh, it's all so depressed. Like this was really a clinical depression. And my sister would come over and she would like, get up out of the bed. Why are you in the bed? All you got to do is get up. And sometimes people don't understand that mm-hmm. it's not that you're just laying in the bed because you want to. It's like you're laying there because you can't get up until so they experience it themselves. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just want to encourage people. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's nothing to be ashamed about. And, you know, as Marquita was saying, you know, hopefully we are developing more compassion about the issue. And I just remember one verse that I clung to when I first started dealing with with depression. I would always um, read the Bible and and, and the words of the Apostle Paul would say, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And I would just say, be anxious for nothing, be anxious for nothing, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And, of course, we want to, as Marquita mentioned, you know, we want to be in prayer. But I do strongly believe that if we are in prayer and if we're in conversation with God, that God will encourage us to go get professional help. And it's okay. Right. It's okay. And so, Marquita, I just wanted you to stay on and see if you had any uh, closing words before we wrap up for the day. Yeah, I just want to say thank you for that. You know you've been there for me, um, so that's the least I can do. We're all there for each other, um, and um, uh, thank you for this creating this space and 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 being taking care of your mental health is part of taking care of your temple. Where we started out at the beginning, and it's part of praising God. So think of it as praise to take care of the gifts and talents that He's given you, and if that means going and getting additional help, that is. So just want to say that. Well, thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. And until then, let your light shine. This is Reverend Kimberly Jones. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Kimberly Jones Show. Reverend Kimberly would like to hear from you. So send her an email to kpj at kpjshine.org. That's kpj at kpjshine.org. Or give us a call at 85-KPJ-SHINE. That's 855-757-4463. Or visit us on all social media outlets at KPJ Shine. Come and be with us each Sunday at 11 a.m. on The Kimberly Jones Show. A conversation of inspiration for you. Hosted by Reverend Kimberly Peyton Jones. And let your light shine.